Good morning. It's so good to see everybody here. Um, my name is Antramika Knight. I have the pleasure of welcoming you to River City. Um, if this is your first time, um, there will be several opportunities for you to connect with us during the service, and we look forward to getting to know you. Um, here at River City, we start out each Sunday by reading from the lectionary. It is a way we connect to the global church. Um, there are churches all over the world that not only on Sunday, but during the week, incorporate the readings from the lectionary. Um, it's a great tool if you are looking for a way to study the word, you don't know what study or curriculum, we encourage you to look at the lectionary as a possible way to read and study the word. Today is Psalm 119, verses 97 through 104, and it starts off by, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. If we can bow our heads in prayer. Lord, thank you for this Sunday. Thank you for our family. Thank you for Smyrna community, Father God. We welcome those who are here, the visitors, the guests, the family, the friends. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather. We pray for the churches who are honoring you, who are gathering underground. Let us never forget them, Father God. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you for being kind. Because for as many of the people who vocalize the way they've seen God be near to them, there are just as many who are struggling to feel like God has ever been with them. And that is the beauty of the body, is that when one person is struggling to recall the way God's goodness has chased them, there is another who can hold up a banner of his name to say, he has been this good to me. He's holding on to you. And so it's with that, that tone and that anthem that God's goodness is chasing after us that we are going to move into prayers of the people. And before I pray for those around the world who we may or may not know what's going on, I wanna give you a snapshot so that we together can be praying. Japan has been affected severely by a typhoon. And that is something that most of us have probably never been able to experience by God's grace. But they are suffering and they are probably struggling to see God's goodness chasing after them. The Kurdish people are just under attack and they are probably remembering, forgetting to remember that they are a people that once got to 
be near to Jesus and they're forgetting that God's goodness is chasing after them. There is sex trafficking that is loose and running rampant in the world and they don't feel like God is advocating on their behalf. And so as I go into praying for them, I encourage you to be interceding in your seats with the same um, anthem and praise and reverence that we were just singing God's goodness and faithfulness. Intercede with me as we pray for those around the world. God, I thank you. I thank you for the testimonies that flood this room. I thank you for bringing to memory all the times that you have indeed not let us down. And I pray that you would loudly and obviously and lavishly love the people of Japan in the most real tangible ways. May you love them, give them their basic needs, allow them to find a peace and a comfort, comfort that surpasses all understanding. God, I pray that in the midst of destruction and suffering that you would be near to the Kurds, that your name, that your love would be magnified in a way that nobody could see coming, that in the midst of darkness, you would burst onto that scene, that you would wrap them up with protection, that they would be drawn back to your heart. God, I pray for our country for the leadership as we head into the po political season. God, I pray that you would remind each of us that just as we have received your gentleness, may we be gentle one if, with one another. May this season within the church of, of po politics, locally and nationally, may we be moved and compelled into gentleness. for locally in our community, for those that I know are suffering, maybe in quiet, who are feeling heavy burdened this morning. May they be reminded that your goodness is still chasing them. are sovereign and faithful and good. And blessing your name changes everything. Praising your name changes everything. And so we bless your name. We thank you that you are still on the throne. You are in all. You see all. So I'm going to jump right in today. We're still jumping into content that has to do with these two things, community transformation or mission and spiritual formation. And the idea being that these two things really are our vision and these are how we create those things, living in love and creating space. 
I do think today I want to I clearly talk about what's been stirring in my heart, which is that we are to be in the process of helping form the culture around us, but only through what's happening in us. There's, there's really no way to live missionally exempt of Jesus and his impact on us. There are people who can be successful at it because there are successful people who are driven to do things and they can go accomplish things. But ultimately, in the long run, if you're not motivated by what Jesus has done in you, especially in a Christian church, it really cannot last. Your efforts will fail. Your efforts will, it will burn you out. And I think many of us in here have had conversations about how that's happened to some of us. But it can't really happen through you unless it's happening in you. And I've found, at least with myself, a lot of times for me, in terms of mission, I go after things missionally, sometimes in unhealth, based on what I would love to see God do in me, but I don't want to give him space to do. So if it's for me, it's always been giving people a space and making sure people feel welcomed and loved. That's a massive thing to me. And it doesn't matter who you are. I have a drive for that because for my childhood, I didn't necessarily feel like that. You wouldn't have probably seen that, but so it became a massive thing for me, especially in the beginning of my ministry. But it, it at times overtook the desire to see God do that in me first. So it was very weary. It was hard to do. And so mission and spiritual formation, I don't think they're possible without each other. I just don't. I think what's happening in you has to come through you if it's the gospel. And I think if, if it's not happening in you and stuff is coming through you, I just think be careful. And I don't, it's not sustainable. And so today we're going to jump into another kind of broad topic built around faith that if you were here for birthday Sunday, you heard one of my prayers was, I, I want to see people in our body have faith restored in Jesus where it's not plastic or put on, but it's genuine and you can tell that it's real. They don't have to convince you, right? It's, there's no tract needed. We talked about tracts last week. There's no three-step plan you have to hear. You see it through them and it becomes desirable. To me, that's anything, right? Like if it's happening in you, really, it's seen and it impacts and so today we're going to jump back into 2 Timothy. And just a little, a quick recap. Last week we talked about how Paul is in prison and he's writing to someone he is mentoring. And this person is discouraged because probably the greatest leader around is now in prison for what he's now living for. So it's confusing to Timothy. How is this happening? Why is he in jail? We're not harming anyone. Um, he's starting to face discouragement and probably hopelessness. He probably doesn't have hope for what's going to come because the person who is kind of the it mentor has been taken and it doesn't look good. So I'm going to read you a few of the scriptures that kind of lead up to this that build the case that not only is this an encouraging book, but it's probably written because there was some hopelessness and Paul was in the front of it trying to speak to it. So if you can just kind of fly through these, 2 Timothy 1.6, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you. Through the laying on of my hand. That's, we just did that. You know what I'm saying? We're so biblical, guys. So biblical. Be careful when you hear people say we're so biblical. All right, next one. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 
Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. This is from today's text that we'll read. And have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. He's trying to help someone who is in hopelessness. Because, just like the children of Israel, when we step into hopelessness and shame, we tend to wander, right? Like, you know the song, Come Thou Fount, right? Like, who likes that song? You should all love that song. It's like the best song ever. We wander in and out of the presence of God. We wander in and out of what He desires for us. We wander in and out of identities, especially now in American culture, we latch on to an identity to say it's who we are and then present this identity to God instead of allowing God to speak to all of us, the whole part of us, everything from the get, from, from, from the core. We wander from thing to thing. So when I read you this passage today, it's a little bit like this. If you grew up in churches that sang loud songs, we used to sing a song where it talked about going into the enemy's camp, Right? We went to the enemy's camp, and what'd we do? Because we're not playing, guys, right? But, and so this is what, this is important. If you haven't heard the song, it says we, we went to the enemy. Who's heard this song? Who's not heard this song? So it's basically, well, I went to the enemy's camp, and I, and you, uh-huh. okay, so this is, so this is what happens. I, I believe when we step into hopelessness or doubt or start to struggle with our faith, we begin to wander, and it's to me a little bit like we go back to the enemy and give back what he stole from us. So that's a different song altogether. So the work that's already been done, the core of it, right? Like, why are we here? Why did we say yes to Jesus in the beginning? When we step into doubt, frustration, things aren't it's a little bit like we go back and we're like, you can just have all your stuff back. I'd rather just be over here in frustration, in doubt, in fear, in anxiety. I would rather just be back over here with this stuff. And nobody would, right? So as we read this today, keep that in mind. I love this passage. I love this text. If you can open up to 2 Timothy 3, starting with 14 and going all the way to 4, 5. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke. We love that word, right, guys? It's so good, right? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And when should we do that? When it feels good? This is where we lose some people right here. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. 
As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. I'm going to pray really quick if you'll close your eyes. Jesus, there are ways that we are in this room distant from you, and for some of us, it's for good reason. When we read a text like this, we are reminded of from whom we were taught. And some of us think of popular televangelists, and some of us think of manipulative leaders, and some of us think of people who are building churches to build a name. But then some of us think of a grandmother or a parent or a Sunday school teacher or someone who came and visited us when we were sick or someone who truly showed the gospel of Jesus by action. So you have to sort out in us who needs to actually remember and say yes to it and who needs to have it rewritten. Because we're not all Timothy in this room. And we do need your gospel desperately. But I pray, God, as we go into this, that none of us would say, I give up on the gospel now because we haven't tasted it recently or because we forgot what it tasted like. Remind us of why it is better than life. Remind us of when we drink from a well that satisfies for more than a day. Remind us of what it looks like and feels like to know that your identity is settled, that you're not working for worth anymore, that you are a part of a family, chosen, blessed. Remind us because when we walk through struggle and temptation and when we're away and when we sin and when it's difficult and when we don't get the best job, Remind us so that when that happens, we know that our hope is not in the actions that are happening, but in who we trust in, and that's you, Jesus. You're better than life. You're better than friendship. You're better than money. You're better than appearance. You're able to forgive and restore. You can take a broken heart and mend it. You can raise a Lazarus from the dead. You can welcome a complete sinner into your fold, loving her back to such a spot that she would pour out a year's worth of oil on your feet. And many of us in this room have to taste and see that you are good without being required to do good first. But they're so connected, God, that we want to embody both. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you think of continue in and remember who, not all of you have a good story to tell. And even just kind of a broad stroke American Christianity, and maybe some of you aren't from America, and there are good things happening. Many of you have stories to tell about ministry. Just, just for kicks and giggles, who, just look around the room when I do this, who in this room feels like they have been harmed in the church in the past, and it's landed deeply. Just raise your hand. Okay. Who can think of someone who poured into them that truly showed the love of Jesus and was there? Raise your hand. That's good. So it's a blended thing, right? So with this passage in particular, I'm just going to jump into a couple things, and then I'm going to read you a passage in Jeremiah. The first thing I want to read to you is, what are the sacred writings and what was happening in Timothy? Because he didn't have what we have, right? Like, we have this, this beautiful 
I pulled the table over here this morning during worship and put a Bible on it, and they were like, oh, where is he? Just left it. We, they didn't have this compilation, right? Like, there was the Hebrews, the Hebrew scriptures. There were the stories of Jesus' gospel, not necessarily in written form. There were probably the writings of Paul because he's writing to Timothy. There were texts that they believed that all to them, even Old Testament, pointed to the Messiah. So the way that they would read the text and the scriptures, especially post-resurrection, would have more to do with the relationship to live into than a code to live up to. So the context of the whole text would be, how is this revealing Jesus? And it would be only as important as that is being expressed in each reading. So when Paul is talking here to Timothy, he's telling him very simply, do not forget Jesus, especially right now, because you're struggling. And for many people in this room, you are struggling. And the first thing you're doing, instead of walking to Jesus in your struggle, is tampering in all of these peripheral things that can only jack you up without a centered Jesus in you. Walk back to the circle, get inside of it. Jesus, I need you to reveal to me who you are continually. I'm going to share with you a little bit about basketball in a minute, but I don't know if I'm supposed to share this because part of it is me bragging, and I, but I still think I still want to brag a little bit. So I'm just being honest about that, okay? It's coming. I'm sorry. So really quick, I want to read you um, a quote that I think for me, so one of my friends, Dr. Cheryl Johns, came and taught on the Word. She talks about the Word as a uh, portal, which is kind of like very provocative language about the Bible, but talks about how it's mysterious and how it's, how it's, uh, it's a breathing document that it's not a flat text, right? Like the Bible is not just a book that you gather information from to live externally. It's not just something you hear, oh, I need to do this. So I need to give my 10%. I need to not dress like this. I need to not look like this. I need to not do these behaviors would not be the way that it's intended to be ingested, right? It's, it's talked about actually as the breath of God, right? You've heard the scripture discussed as this. It's actually in Hebrew, it talks about it as God breathing. And so picture the word actually breathing and, and having breath that comes out of it into you. And then you take in this breath that then comes in and out of you like it's alive. And what we do to it a lot of times is we smother it. If it's alive, like in this, this for some of you, like, yeah, this, you're going too far today, buddy. If this is alive, like, this is not just a book. And it's not just another book to put on our library. This is not just alongside some other good books. It's not like purpose-driven life, the Bible, the Tim LaHaye collection, celebration of discipline even. I know we love that. Sacred rhythms even. I know we love that. This is different, right? It's different, and it's meant to be read differently. It's meant to be revered, but not, not so much that you want to stay away from it because it's continually reminding you, but it's breathing actual life in you. It's interactive. It's, it's, it's an experience to have, not just for you to get what you want, right? 
Like, I don't necessarily like the promise books of the Bible on the back of the toilets. Because what it's essentially done is it's taken all of the funnest parts of the conversation out and put them on the back of your toilet. And it removes things like having to read about what happened to the children of Israel. Or having to read about the flood. Or having to read about Ananias and Sapphira. Or having to read about what happened to Jesus or his loved ones. These things that when we read them do things to us that aren't just, I'll do that today. Does that make sense? This is not meant to just be a book. This is Jesus. This is only important as it is Jesus. And if you're being revealed things that are aside from him within it, you're reading it wrong. I don't care if you form a diet based on what the Bible says about dieting. That's not the purpose. The purpose is, do you want want to be alive on this planet? Then you might have to undo some of the things you've learned because you're not Timothy, which told you do these collected 10 things in this community and you're in. Because that's what basically is happening when someone says, we're a biblical church. Are you? What does that even mean? Can you read it without community? Do you just say to people, like, this is so clear. Like, can you grow your ear past, can you grow your hair, can you grow your ears? I mean, maybe today. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. It takes the people of God and the spirit of God to understand the word of God. And it was intended for that reason. So this is like breathing, right? Everybody go. <laughs> Stupidest thing I've ever done. <laughs> I'm going to read you this text. This is not a text. So this is a quote. Studying the Bible is not like studying wrestling. It's more like wrestling itself. This opponent of mine is sometimes beautiful, sometimes cruel, sometimes ancient, Sometimes crazily relevant. I can't get a handle on it. I'm outmatched. God's word does not return unto God void. The Bible does not need a disclaimer to say it's fiction. Rather, it needs a warning to those who would read it. I I love this so much. It is so true that it will read you. Do not just read it alone. You are outmatched. As we read it, we discover all about how we are outmatched by the love and grace of God who has given us his word and given us his son, that we might know life eternal here, now, and forevermore. Be careful. If you're reading it wrong, don't be careful. If you're reading it right, you better be careful because you can't do it alone. I promise. If you think you can, you're doing it wrong. There should be times when something jacks you up so deeply that you have to talk to others about it. That's the word. And Timothy's being reminded, this word, this Jesus incarnate, this logos, this God-made flesh putting on our skin to come alive, this word is what we need to draw back into. I think Dr. John's actually said to us when we came, because we believe that we're a community of the table. And she said, you know what? And she has, she has a prophetic voice in, in a lot of ways. She said, I feel like God's saying you're a people of the table, but also he's turning you into a people of the text. Not to walk around judging who's in or out, but to be read by it, to be shaped by it, to be the clay that it forms so that when you fall in love with Jesus, it's so noticeable that you don't have to convince someone. 
that's the goal of the word. It changes deeply. It wrecks you. It makes you twist what you thought you knew just so that you can't know it. (laughs) That's the best. All right. So it's not a composition in purpose. And specifically for you to know, this text is not an idea for you to decide whose theology is right or wrong. It's asking a question of us. It's use. And this is my question to you. And this is my fear that I'm putting faith into because I'm not going to walk in fear about how this culture takes the Bible. I don't think the culture is just supposed to get on board. I think we're here for a reason. I think we are the reason. And I think we see the things that frustrate us. But can the Bible, this is, this is what this, I'm just asking you, can it correct you? I'm not, don't, don't, don't talk to me. I'm sorry. I made, I'm asking you, when you read the Bible, have you done something to it which just means this is something I'm reading? It's neat. It's beautiful. It's ancient. Can it correct you? Can it tell you when you're off? Can it rebuke you? I hate being rebuked. I literally hate being rebuked because I've already done a ton of work to make sure I'm not rebuked. So I've already rebuked myself like 11 times by the time you rebuke me. And when the word rebukes me, I feel like I want to run because that's Jesus. And it's taken me long enough to figure out he loves me. But now I know that he loves me so deeply that he'll say the rebuking thing out of love, not to remind me I'm an idiot. But I'm good that I'm an idiot too because I am. Can you be rebuked by it? Can you be encouraged by it? Can you be so deeply encouraged by it? Does the word have the ability to speak to you as if Jesus were to walk up to you and look you in the eye and say, Julie, I need you to know that I love you and there's nothing more you can do to make that better. Does the word have the power through Jesus to walk up to you and say, you've actually placed your identity in something secondary and now you're saying that's your primary identity and I'm trying to tell you I need all of you because I have to give you your identity. Does the word have the power to say there is injustice happening in our city and we cannot turn and not look at it anymore because Jesus is just and it's not okay? Does the word have the power to make you throw yourselves at other people's feet and say, I don't understand? It's Jesus. That's what he wants to do. That's why he's saying to Timothy, You're discouraged but you have to get back to this basic, fundamental, I hate that word, essential, core, Jesus Christ, death, resurrection, and life. Because when we introduce people to what we believe, if we don't introduce them to Jesus, it's like inviting them to a kingdom and doing all the things the king wants and then realizing there's no king there. And I don't like militaristic language around the New Testament version of the gospel in Jesus, but if it is a kingdom and we've removed the king, even if we're still doing his stuff, the enemy has all kinds of reign in there. You don't even have a king. It's great that you look like it. It's great that you do the things. Who are you doing it for? Where is Jesus? What if what we're called to needs to happen in us first and the only way for it to happen is in Jesus and then when it starts to actually come through us it actually has a lasting impact spiritual formation 
and mission have to go together. Don't get me wrong, though. I don't, I don't want to sit in this room and get formed for the rest of my life. I want to be in here to go out there, and I want to love people I shouldn't love, and I want people to be freed, and I want redemption, and I want all of it. Can you pull up Romans 15.4? I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled... 15.4? I'm sorry. <laughs> Just about 10 verses off. I think I, I gave you the wrong one, maybe. Just another thing on top of this. So the reason I think we have to fall back in love with the text through Jesus is because we are in a state of biblical illiteracy, probably that hasn't been seen before in the church. And before you're like, amen, brother, I've been saying it for like 10 years. We all know. But there's a reason why people are biblically illiterate, and it's because for 20 or 30 years, we were taught five or six things to not do without being told who we are in Christ and having no idea how to live in community with one another, how to be transparent, vulnerable, how to serve and love. We were taught that stages were really important and you should probably work your way to one. And if you have any kind of calling, you'll eventually be on one. I mean, that's literally the gospel I learned inadvertently. If there's any kind, of, there are people in this room who desire so badly to be on a stage because in your estimation, that proves that you have worth and that you're finally what God called you to be. Nobody was taught necessarily that true ministry happens like behind closed doors. And nobody was taught that if somebody's really famous, it's probably not all good. <laughs> I mean, I want to read you this quote you're probably going to love. Today's world so much parallels the Jews' captivity in Babylon, which is where they were in this text I'm about to read. We sometimes feel that we are deeply displaced into a cultural environment that is hostile to Christian faith. Our worship, spiritual disciplines, education seek to help us practice memory in a world of amnesia, practice grief in a world of denial, practice sacrament in a world of technique, practice generosity in a world of scarcity, practice obedience in a world of indulgence, and practice hope in a world of despair. To make such approaches reality would require most of us to be different. Being different was hard for the divided kingdoms of Israel and Judah. They constantly wanted to be like the nations around them. Even when facing potential exile and destruction, they found it hard to consistently follow God's seemingly contrary directions. In Jeremiah 31, we read how God has provided a covenant at Sinai that contained commands, laws, and declarations. They seemed incapable and powerless to make the lifestyle changes demanded by those laws. So God purposed a new approach. God said, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This new approach would not require that laws be posted on walls or carried in boxes, but they would be installed in hearts. It would be intertwined, intertwined into their emotions, into their hopes and dreams. It was a move from commandments to conversations, from rules to relationships. More than knowing the rules of God, they were to know God with their being. It was a new covenant that would alter their pattern of failure because there's only failure in the old covenant. And we saw that through the Jewish community. And transform it into a relationship of forgiveness and new life. And now I'm going to read you the passage I was supposed to read right before that. For whatever was written in former days was written for... Nope. Can you go to the Jeremiah one? I'm off, guys. I'm sorry. 
Jeremiah. It's not in there? All right, so it's not in there. Who has a Bible? I have a Bible. You guys see that bunny rabbit over there? So um, you guys come here a lot, or is this like your first time? So this book was written about five or 600 years before the text we just read. And there's no way I'm going to find this quickly now because I'm the pastor and that I can't find it quickly is already horrifying to me. <laughs> so I, you could tell me, like, I couldn't tell you the first book of the Bible right now. <laughs> yeah. I'm in Psalm and I didn't realize. Yeah. Awesome. Can you just give it to me there so I can read it? Okay. Yeah. 31 through 34. All right. So, so just for you to know, they're in exile and Last week, you heard Jordan read during Prayers of the People, not only are they in exile, God has asked them now to build houses in exile, and then go after the benefit of that community and receive it as their own benefit. So this is where they're at. We've been in sin, and now we've been removed from the land we want and taken to a land we don't want. They're probably all overwhelmed by the fact that they've lost God and have no hope, and now he's telling them to do things in an area he doesn't want to be. Like many of you, God has asked you to continue and remain in something you maybe don't want to be. You'd like to be back in the promised land. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This to me, and no longer shall, I'm so off today, guys, I'm sorry. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So good, right? So to me, this is a little bit hard to get because we tend to think in the kind of box that how we behave is who we are. And so we really do view our Christian lives like the Israelite children, who if your focus is behavior, it's impossible which is why they're in and out of good graces with God, and he's always trying to cleanse them and bring them back. So for me, it helped me to bring in a basketball illustration. So I've been watching my daughter who made the sixth grade team. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. I've, I'm, I was shocked because she hasn't played much. And watching them practice is uh, it's brutal. It's hard. Because at this point, for a sixth grader playing basketball, it's not fluid motion. It's everyone's overthinking everything. Like you're dribbling down the court like this, ball in front of you, should be beside you. You don't know how to like use your body when you get close to it. Shooting is like, you might as well not even shoot. You should just get points if you can make it across half court and then the other team when you make it back. But as, as I've watched them practice for the past probably month, they've, especially Lathia, has gone from really like everything was a thought to a little bit of fluidity. And I remembered in, in my life, um, I'm just, I'll just, I'm just randomly bringing this up. I was a sixth grader at J.J. Daniel, and I tried out for a team, and I was horrified that I wouldn't make it. I did not make it. And I always thought I was really good. So I decided to play basketball because I enjoyed it and not because I wanted to be on a team. And I used to sneak out of my house and go play at a basketball court in an apartment complex with about 14 guys I didn't know. They were all older than me, and I played for like three years, and I got pretty good. When I was a freshman 
In high school, I was a part of a youth ministry at Mount Perrin, and before church, I actually, and you're not going to believe this, but I actually could dunk. And I was at my height. I promise you, I'm not kidding. You don't believe me right now. This is real. I'm not lying. One of the people that went to Etowah High School with me, Boston, you're shaking your head, saw me do that, and they were like, there's no way this kid just dunked. Called the coach. The coach called me. I made the high school team. And I don't have any other reason to share that story other than I needed you to know that I could dunk. <laughs> and now I'm going to figure out how to get back into my notes. No, like... Th- There's a part of when you fall in love with something and do it for the right reasons that it's not a thought. I didn't care at that point. I would sneak out and go play because I enjoyed playing and I was playing with people and the fruit came and I didn't have to like, I wasn't worried about trying out because I wasn't going to try out. So when I showed up, I was like, I honestly don't care if I make it. And I made it and I was awesome. And then I got kicked out of school. So that was great. (laughs) So it turns out school is actually more important than athletics. That's another lesson for another day. When I think about this text, I think about what is it like for the gospel to go from things you're either stressed about, concerned about, did I do this right, did I not do this right, am I in my calling, am I not, to naturally being how you live and breathe. What does it go to? I think about witnessing, like that's the worst word in the world for me. It historically has been because it's such a pressure to have the right word for somebody who's not a Jesus follower. But I've learned that Jesus comes through us differently than just getting a thing. It comes through a relationship that takes time, right? We talked about it last week. Jesus walked the earth for 30 years being a human learning a trade, being in a family, building respect, building rapport, and then for three years, one, 11% of his entire life was built around, now the message is this, after he had relational equity, he didn't pretend like the gospel wasn't the gospel, he didn't just want to live another 30 years like he was living, he wanted to, did all of it, so that people would come to know Jesus, and the real Jesus will be the best help for people, always. And we do it through our actions, but not only, and I said this last week, we are a church in danger of removing the most important thing from what we do. We would love to do this without having to discuss that Jesus is the reason. But Jesus is the only hope too. And what about people who are in brokenness? Who is the one who heals? And yes, focus on the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit's primary job is to reveal Jesus to us. Because at Jesus' feet is where we're restored. It's where we're redeemed. It's where forgiveness comes to us, as it says in this passage. Don't forget the gospel of Jesus Christ and faith in it. It's the gospel about forgiveness and restoration. It's the gospel that takes dead people and makes them alive. It's the gospel that helps you endure when faith is crumbling around you. We want to be a church, and I want you guys to be a people who don't have to say the right things or do the right thing, but live it so deeply that it impacts every area. But it starts most certainly inside of you. And it has to. So if you're super good at accomplishing things or mission, and you've been avoiding Jesus for years and years, just have the conversation with him on why. Maybe like Timothy, you'll be reminded of those good first fruits and maybe he'll have to deconstruct the bad stuff. But I promise you his goal is to restore you 
and to equip you and to rebuke you. My prayer for you is that we learn language how to, because you can't just walk out in the street and be like, God wants to rebuke all of you in Jesus' name. But my prayer is that when we hear the word rebuke, it's so connected to such a loving father that we would be like, is there a rebuke for me today? Because that'd be super cool. Instead of like, too much rebuke, bro. Like, just dim the lights, put some fog on. We can't see each other then, right? Let's sing a, let's sing a what kind of song? Let's sing a, what is it? Like a Chance the Rapper song to start a show? No? No? What do we, we open up with some other stuff? No, let's center ourselves around the gospel. Let's not try and like make it more than, let's not try and beautify it, right? Like, it, it's, it's rawness is what's so good about it. It's rawness is what draws us into repentance and hope. It's rawness is what put Jesus on a cross, We wouldn't have chose to do it that way. He would have looked different. He would have done it differently. No, the rawness of it is the the portal into the life that he's inviting us into. And now I've lost my spot, and it's basically y'all's fault. So, a couple things. I'm going to ask you guys to participate with me in some stuff, and you're not going to like it. Some of you are going to like it. Can you stand to your feet? To be recentered in the gospel for some of you will feel redundant because you've already mastered it. Good. Tell the story, hear the story, invite the story, approach it differently. You're about to see all kinds of Christmas stuff in Advent. They're going to remind you of Jesus. Ask him to let you approach it differently. Last year, Sarah decided because she was struggling in her faith, she was going to read the Gospels only. She kind of narrowed her scope to Jesus because she needed Jesus to be restored. Many of you need to, many of you don't even want to be in this room right now. It's not about even the circumstances. Jesus is asking to be rebirthed in a new way to you. You're looking at the wrong one. And that's okay because your situation got you there. He's trying to be restored. So share stories. Thank you, Kara. I didn't ask her to do that. Read the Gospel, the simple part of it. Go back to the small stuff. Simplify it. One of my favorite things is the Apostles' Creed. And I'm going to ask you guys to do Amy Simple Simple McPherson voice. Who knows who that is? And I want her as an example today because I just want to say that this passage also talks about false prophets and how we need to be wary of them. And uh, there's a lot of them floating around, and I believe one of them attacked Beth Moore yesterday and this week and basically said she's not called and shouldn't be in ministry. And I just, I would rebuke, rebuke that clearly, that that's not from God. And any women in this room that feel a call to ministry, you just need to know that that voice, that's false prophecy over you. That doesn't need to be received. Beth Moore is called, and she can come preach here whenever she wants. She's never coming here. She has no idea who we are. <laughs> well, maybe, she, maybe we could get her here. I don't know. So, so that's, that's an example of the false prophetic voices telling you to sit upstairs and not say something. That's not Jesus. I promise. I'll stake everything to that. Be liberated in him to know. So one of the things we do, though, is we're reminded, oh, yeah, also, what if because the phrase used was that she should just go home. That was the phrase. But what if Mary Magdalene would have just gone home? What if Mary at the tomb would have just gone home? We wouldn't have the story of the Gospels. So if you want to discuss if women in ministry are a big deal, 
talk to the women that were chosen by Jesus to spread the gospel before men. I think that's important. Amen. <laughs> and bye, some of you. See you later. It was really fun meeting some of you. And So, can you pull up the Apostles' Creed? So, Amy, Simple McPherson voice, uh, John Wesley voice. This is not about beauty. This is about girth, right? Like gurgle. I don't, that's not the right word. But just like the voice that we're not looking for, I believe in God and Almighty Father. It's beautiful. We're looking for, I believe in God, right? Like, say it, and if you don't believe it, don't beat yourself up, but ask God to let these words be prophetic for the future, because the children of Israel did not have them written on their heart yet. It was a promise from him to those in exile. This is coming, and it came in Jesus, and he's here. So it's here, and if you don't feel it, it it's coming, and it's not on you, it's on him. It's about his faithfulness and your faithlessness, and he is faithful. I could like punch things right now. Like, I don't even know. All right, girth voice, gurgle voice. One, two, three. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe. I just want to ask you, Father, to allow this to permeate from us. Just to slow us down back into your presence so that we can be with the one who knows who we are, whose we are, and what we're called to. Thank you for the identity that you speak into this room, saying you are my son, and I'm speaking this over many of you. You are my son. You are a part of my family. You are my beloved. I am pleased with you. You are my daughter. You are in my family. You are my beloved. I am pleased with you. It is finished. That is done. You cannot earn it, and you never will. It's a gift, and I love to give it to you. Receive it. In the name of Jesus, seal it. Let us stop competing with false identities and step into who we are as your children that will love this world like you did and go after it with all the grace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.